0: This is Keywords and I'm Zoe Cummins. This series brings you short recordings, stories, messages, observations, sounds and poems. Each week guided by a keyword and recorded by you. This week, light. You'll hear about stars, voices in the dark, mischievous light, measuring its speed and how light guides. With Colm O'Shea, Donal Ryan, Monika Baveen-Ramsey, Tom Rosengrave, Molly Brown. Tygo Sullivan and a brief cameo or flicker from artist Martin Creed. But right now it's night and I'm in my back garden. Quiet, isn't it? It's difficult to see the stars though, with all the light pollution from Dublin City, where I live. But if I get my bearings, the moon's in the southeast and above that Ursa Major and the Plough, I know that one, follow down past the point of the handle, down past the great nothingness of Boötes. Near the horizon, but still visible at this time of year, are seven stars arranged in a semicircle. Corona Borealis. This constellation is the crown, or Corona, of the Greek goddess Ariadne. From those stars to the tiniest cells, the most surprising things are filled with light. Here's Margaret Dennehy. Three little words. Novel, hitherto unknown. Corona, crown-like circles of light. Virus, a simple organism. Three little words when kept apart innocent enough but together much more sinister
1: 0.0000000000006673236598954690 How long does it take light to travel 2 meters <abl 0.
0: 111> <te> The answer the time might seem insignificant but for Colum O'Shea, it's the speed of those minuscule crowns of light that keeps two people apart.
1: 0. 000 000 000 6673 2365 8954 1980 seconds. Nothing but everything. We feel ashamed even thinking about it. Not that. Too much of everything else. Too much of it. Too much of everything except... Except, it's too hard to breathe. There doesn't seem to be enough air anymore. Something else we've lost. We plan in secret, compare maps, check distances, check distances again. Where, where within my allowed meets where within hers. To be told, this far and no farther. We find, through careful exacting calculations, taking our bearings, we find. We find a place where I may walk and where she may walk. We may walk on the same ground. I approach. Apprehension more than guilt. I have a shopping bag if I am questioned. I am allowed to walk here if I am questioned. I am permitted to pass without loitering if I am questioned. I do not see her so I continue to walk. That is to stop, to wait, to look for someone here, someone now, could be to attract attention. To walk is to be like everyone else. Walking, moving, being elsewhere, remembering. 0.0000 Zero, 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 00006673236589541980 seconds. She's already here. She mentioned a bench. She's sitting. She is not looking because to look would mean you are waiting. You are not meant to wait. You are meant to come and go. You are meant to return until coming and going again. She waits without looking. As I approach, she smiles. People pass. How long does that smile take to get from her to me? How long? I want to smile, but I am being watched. I'm being watched by a man passing. I'm being watched to ensure I do not encroach. The man walks a dog, a small terrier. Old, dirty, white fur, disinterested. The man watches me as I pass. The man watches me to ensure I do not encroach. I do not smile, I do not speak. The man is t- too close. The man could still be watching. I sit at the other end of the bench, being so close. Not being too close, that is it. Not to be too close. This is as close. This is as close as we can, as we should. 0.000000006673236589541980 seconds. We sit and try to talk. There isn't enough air for us to talk properly, as we would, as we should, as we did, not enough. I bring wine and coffee cups. I lean, I lean watching not to be watched. I lean and place a cup close to her. She leans, she leans watching not to be watched and takes the cup. We drink, we drink the wine coffee cups. We drink and time is other times. Time is almost other times. We drink and time is not now. It's time to go. Time is time to go. She knows. She's been watching. She's been watching the time closely as she's been watching to see if we are being watched. It is time to go. She leaves first, watching. Watching to not be watched as she leaves. As she leaves, she almost brushes a hand against my knee. As she leaves, there is almost something from another time. How long? 0
0: Writer Monica Bavin ramsey lives in Brazil. She recorded in the forest by her home. The light in Brazil
2: is so different to the light in Ireland. Everything about the light in Brazil is brash, extreme, overwhelming. Ireland seems to have a, a gentler light, a quieter light. I'm here in this bright brush light of Brazil where everything grows. Even for somebody without green fingers like me. It grows and grows and overgrows. and turns into a chaos. Well, in Ireland, it seems things grow at a slower pace. You have to mind them and tend them. So I'm here in Brazil, in this brush light, and I feel so far away. I feel so far away from my native home. I feel so far away from my parents. Those quiet lights, those gentle lights. Of my father making a Paschal fire in the garden yesterday. In support of all the people affected by this virus, that quiet light of the candle in the window that flickers. My dad turns 80 this year, my mum turns 77. My dad is taking care of my mum and my mum taking care of my dad, but my mum has Alzheimer's and forget sometimes that <laughs> she's taking care of my dad and I'm so far away and the light here is so fresh, and I just feel so much longing for the quiet light of Ireland and just to sit even two meters distance from my parents and watch them dance Forgetting, remembering, remembering, forgetting. 50, 50 odd years of togetherness.
0: From light that makes you yearn to light that misbehaves and provokes. A few years ago, I had a chat with artist Martin Creed. He won the Turner Prize in 2001 with his work, Lights Going On and Off.
3: With the lights going on and off, there's, it's a very um, kind of bare work.
0: It was as simple as it sounds. Imagine an empty room which is filled with light for five seconds, then plunged into darkness for five seconds more. And this repeats again. And again.
3: It's like a relief to be in this big room where you know everything's just uh, flashing on and off. <laughs> it's like a relief from kind of having to look at things. You can look at anything you want, the ceiling, the people, it's all going on and off. you know.
0: Some people were outraged and felt it was a joke.
3: I mean, I don't know what the lights going on and off is about, you know, like any more than anyone else. So if someone thinks it's a waste of time, well, I mean, for them, then it obviously is. But I don't know.
0: Others thought it was genius, provocative, profound. But what I remember from our conversation is one of the inspirations he gave for his work.
3: I was thinking recently about the lights going on and off. When I was a kid, I used to love, like, when people were in the toilet. And you know how in toilets, often the light switch is outside the room? And and so, you know, you could switch the lights on and off when someone was in the, in the toilet. And, uh, you know... And so it's like being naughty and and kind of doing what you're not supposed to do.
0: I like that idea that one of the most important modern works of art has a good deal of mischief behind it.:
3: But I think that's really important in life because I feel I, I feel myself needing to you know fit into conventions and ways of doing things in the world that you're expected to do you know you're expected to say things, you're, you're expected to do what you said you were going to do and, and I feel myself slipping into doing that and I sometimes catch myself and think, no wait a minute, you know, you don't have to do that. You, I feel like I'm always probably taking the route of least resistance. That makes life more comfortable, and that makes life easier. But I feel like that takes you further and further away from, you know, the excitement of life.
0: For Martin Creed, turning on and off the lights acts as a reminder to subvert expectations and be yourself. Light is a spectrum. If you imagine yourself standing in the middle of that spectrum as though you were standing on the middle key of a piano keyboard on middle C. And imagine that that key is the light we see. But in each direction there's more. A vast spectrum of light, invisible to me and you. The electromagnetic spectrum. It stretches beyond this middle key from radio waves at one end of the spectrum all the way to gamma rays at the other. Molly Brown's recordings of piano there. So for us, just the light of middle Sea. And we feel a deep connection to that light, both in our real lives and as a symbol for knowledge. In Donal Ryan's story, Lights, naked bulbs turning on and off again, acts as a conscience for Michael.
4: I have a row of lights on the wall of my room and beneath them is a row of plaques on which are inscribed the names of my children Aoife, Ashling, William, Joshua, John Each light is mounted on a little square shelf of wood and a cord hangs down from this They light up only according as one of my children is worrying my mind Sometimes I'm woken by the sudden illumination of one of them No one else can see this row of bulbs, nor knows it's there. Mary, God rest her, said to me in a dream, You know, Michael, you're going to lose Joshua, and nothing is surer, unless you can show him the way you love him. I knew she was right, but still and with all I could not act. I could not lift my hand to touch him, nor say a gentle word to him. But I remembered all the Sundays coming from matches, and he crouched silent in the corner of the back seat, While I rained all manner of curses on the heads of referees and linesmen and umpires and opposing managers and players, the names I used to call them, the same kinds of names I used for the singers and pop bands they liked, or anyone that looked a bit off. And my younger boy and older boy would giggle and laugh, and my middle boy would stay quiet and crouched like he always did, even watching the television when those programs were on that all boys liked, or listening to music in his bedroom or standing idle on the wing when he had no choice but to take to the field. Many a boy put an end to himself in this parish down the years. Over nothing, you think. always the same old talk. The familiar words lying there between funerals to be picked up again by the same old mouths. I couldn't sleep right for weeks of nights with the burning brightness of Joshua's light above me on the wall. His card hung uselessly down and wouldn't even click when I pulled on it. The light got brighter even, the more I tried to quench it. You're going to lose him, Mary said again and again from the edges of my nights. And I thought maybe I should let it happen. I thought maybe I could live afterwards the way I'd lived up till then and that I'd be relieved of a burden somehow. Then I thought again and knew the wrongness of that. I got out of bed when blue dawn and went on the computer and found what I needed. I drove in to the middle of the city a week or so later and parked near the Cistercian Abbey and I walked over as far as the little block of apartments that Joshua lived in. I knocked at his door and he answered it wide-eyed but surprised to see me and I said, Come on with me, son. We walked, the two of us, to Perry Square and we marched, the two of us, down Mellow Street and Henry Street towards the docks. There I bought two jerseys with rainbows across them from a lad wearing denim shorts and a cowboy hat, one for each of us, and we pulled them on over the clothes we were wearing and it was no harm because there was a fine breeze up off of the estuary. A lad to our left had a beard and a baldy head and a leather strap across his chest and only the bare bit of leather across his arse and the of spikes around his neck. And a lad to our right was lipping and twirling in a ballet outfit like a spastic fairy. And more young people looked ordinary and happy, the very same as my own children. And there was a good share of men and women there about the same go as me. And I held my beautiful son's hand tightly and my head high. And when we slowed and stopped to regroup at the south side of Shannon Bridge, I kissed him on his cheek and told him I loved him. And he said nothing back, but he squeezed my hand hard. And the cord beneath Joshua's bulb clicked when I pulled it that night, and the light of it was darkened, and it sat on its plinth in peace.
0: Tom Rosengrave is a radio producer. He sent Keywords a playful audio essay, Cow. He starts with radio as voices in the dark. Here, the listener discovers his body and who or what he might be.
5: I'm going to turn off the light. And suddenly, it's very... Very, very dark. This is a different darkness. Like a kind of goo. And it appears I'm stuck in the goo. I try to tell the part of my brain that tells my mouth to speak, to speak. But nothing happens. But you're hearing this, right? Because I'm hearing it. So that means what you're listening to... At least what I think you're listening to are my thoughts. I start to get a feeling. I tense. I can tense now and then relax. Out of the darkness, a light. My eyes are working. A small yellow flame and behind it a human hand in its glow. The light floats directly beneath my head. Now, in the glow, one, no, two, gigantic toenails. The flame searches from one toenail to the other. Shiny black fur. The hand is searching on a concrete floor. Into the darkness again. But this time not as total as before. I start to feel the balance of a new body, my new body. A big, heavy middle is shared in four directions. And then there's my arse. It's, well, it's massive. A torch beam. She's back, first pointing away and then moving across. Illuminating black and white fur The beam reaches me and I squint It moves downwards to where the giant toenails are My own giant toenails And there are others beside me too Huge bodies, heaving in the darkness The light goes along a concrete ledge and Goes out I still haven't found my mouth I can sense it somewhere I start with my eyes I move the sensation down there it is no mistaking it a huge slippery tongue I prime myself to speak get all the machinery in place Wait for it to click and just push. Light everywhere. I open my mouth to speak.
0: and sound designer Tygo Sullivan brings us back to the stars. One star, Betelgeuse, and the ship named after it. Widdy Island stands in the deep water harbour of Bantry Bay. On its shore, an oil terminal that promised work and industry under a bright future, which came to be remembered as the site of the worst maritime disaster in Irish history, where 50 people died in an explosion in 1979.
6: As I wandered the twilight island in early summer, my eyes were drawn ever upwards to the dark Atlantic sky and the infinity of stars. Somewhere up there in the constellation of Orion, I might glimpse the giant red star Betelgeuse, slowly dying. Light from Betelgeuse takes 658 years to reach us, I began to think of the star and the ship that was named for it, of light from the star perhaps reaching the ship, a coming together across time and space. I began to think of the countless things that had played out on earth while this light made its way to the small island in Bantry Bay. How a century after the light had set out, plague and war had ravaged Europe, how horoscopes and astrology played an ever more important role in attempts to make sense of heaven and earth. How into the Italian language a new word came. "disaster," ill-starred. How the O'Sullivan Bears, ruling clan of Witty and the surrounding mainland, built a tower house at Rinovanni on the island. I wondered what hand had touched the final stone set in place with a craftsman's pride. I thought of how as the light flew Nicola Copernicus rearranged the cosmos through which it travelled, placing the sun at the centre, with the earth humbly in orbit. Kepler, Brahe, Galileo and Newton refined the heavens before a catastrophic earthquake destroyed Lisbon in 1755, sending a tsunami as far as the Whitty shoreline and shaking European faith in a benevolent God. I thought of some islander's smallholding, flooded and abandoned in the wake of this wave. I thought of Wolf Tone, stood aboard a French warship off the Whitty coast, his fleet lost in a storm his dream of revolution and liberty lost with it. I thought of the three forts that were built by the British on the island to guard against future French invasion and wondered about the antipathy the islanders might have felt towards such an imposition. I thought of the careful filling out of census forms that recorded 729 people living on Whiddy, five years before the famine, and of the devastation that reduced that number by 269 before the next census, a decade later. I thought of the American base for seaplanes built to fight U-boats and then dismantled on the southern edge of Whiddy, and how the islanders used the concreted field for summer dances. I wondered who had fallen in love there. I thought of how light itself came to be understood as simultaneously a wave and a particle, its speed the only constant in the universe, and how at around the same time the O'Sullivan Bear Tower House collapsed in a storm. I thought of how, with the light still no closer than the nearest star, men set foot on the moon, and during a commercial break in the American TV coverage the Clancy brothers sang a song called Bringing Home the Oil over footage of a gulf oil tanker called the Universe Ireland sailing into the glittering future that was the Whitty Terminal. I thought of how as the light hurtled toward earth a French tanker called Betelgeuse left a Saudi port for Portugal, but in a series of changes of plan was redirected to Bantry Bay, where its tanks were emptied of the crude oil it had carried. As the weight of the oil shifted within the ship, a catastrophic crack in the hull led to an ignition of the fuel, causing a massive explosion and a vast plume of black smoke to fill the night sky. I thought of how this cloud obscured the light as it finally fell to Earth after six centuries.
0: That's all for this week's Keywords. But it's comforting to know that we too radiate light. You and I are bioluminescent. It's a faint rhythmic glow brightening and fading throughout the day our big shiny faces give off the best light brightest in the afternoon around our lips and cheeks keep that in mind as you move through your days past the glimmer of afternoon and into the evening keywords is a new normal culture production funded by the broadcasting authority of ireland sound and vision fund